0: Thank you that we have the privilege to meet like this. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the great sacrifice that was made on Calvary for our sins. And we ask you to give us wisdom and understanding as we enter into a study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Today's study is entitled, Temptation, Thoughts, and Sin. And our passage for this study is Matthew 5, 27 Twenty eight. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Okay. Temptation, thoughts, and sin. I've had some interesting discussions in the past few weeks related to the relationship between thoughts and temptation and sin. We use this verse, this passage here during the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said, listen, you have heard in the past that you were told you can't commit adultery. But I'm telling you, that it's broader than that. Because if you look on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart already. Doesn't matter if you ever get an opportunity to do it physically, you have done it virtually. Now, I'll say this, virtual sinning or sinning in the virtual realm, sinning in your heart, is just as damaging as sinning physically from the perspective of your relationship with God right if you sin in your heart you're in a broken relationship you're you're there's a break in your relationship with God and you need repentance and forgiveness to be restored right so it doesn't matter that you didn't touch the person if you sinned in your heart you still need to be reconciled to god that said it's entirely different the consequences that will come about because of that sin when you sin in your heart you and the lord are out of sorts and need to be reconciled but the person is intact In the case of adultery, there's no chance that there'll be a jealous spouse. There's no likelihood of a child. Families aren't going to be broken up. Okay. I'm not saying this to make it sound like, well, sinning in your heart is better. I'm saying that it creates less problems that are hard to unravel. Okay. Murder as an example. If you hate a brother in your heart, Christ says in the next verse here, that it is equivalent to murder. But the good news is the law is not going to get involved. The good news is you're not likely to go to jail unless you conspire to murder. The good news is there won't be a loss that a family sustains that can't be undone. Okay? Your spiritual state is going to be identical regardless of whether you do this in the physical realm or in your heart only, But reconciliation is way more straightforward because it's you and God, and once you and God are back reconciled, there are no external ramifications to contend with as when we do things in the physical realm, okay? But from God's perspective, both are important. Now, there are many people that are concerned that when you have thoughts, when thoughts come in, that this is a bad thing, right? That you are in a position of sin. There are many people that are shamed, embarrassed, because they feel that the intensity of of the temptation or the frequency of the temptation suggests that they themselves are bad persons. And we need to make a distinction between temptation and sinning. In fact, I'm going to do something here. In Matthew 25, where it says that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. If you look up that word lust in the concordance, look up that word lust. It is... A Greek word, epithomeo, and it means to set the heart upon. That is to long for, to covet, to desire. So when you are walking down the street and you see a beautiful or handsome or gorgeous person, and your eyes notice them, they happen to be very attractive in an appealing way to you, and an emotional connection is stirred at a glance, that mere initial response is at best a temptation. Okay? You know that that person isn't your spouse, so you can't do anything with them. Whether you have a spouse or not is immaterial, whether they have a spouse or not is immaterial, right? You can't engage with them in that way if they're not your spouse, can't entertain engaging with them in that way if they're not your spouse. And then of course, if either one of you is married, then that rules them out even for other discussion. But you see them, you have an initial response of because of their physical appearance. And that response is kind of instant. At best, it's a temptation. It's an attempt by the enemy to get you to contemplate in more detail engaging with this person, or at least thinking about it. And what the word tells us when we look at that word, to lust, to set the heart upon. That is to long for it doesn't move into the realm of sin until you entertain the thought, okay? Entertain the thought. And I'm gonna give you an example of what entertaining the thought is. Imagine that you're, at the, you're, you're in your home and someone knocks on your door and you come out to answer the door to see who it is and it's a temptation. And the temptation says, hey, listen, have you ever considered X, whatever X is, And you say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not interested. And you close the door, okay? The temptation came, the temptation spoke to you. You had an opportunity to understand what the temptation was getting at. You recognize it to be a temptation and you don't entertain it. You close the door and you let it go on its way. And maybe it comes back frequently because it's an insistent and persistent temptation. But you say, no, I'm not interested. Can you please stop coming over here? I'm not interested. But imagine if after a bunch of times it comes over you're like look come come in look come sit here I need to explain something to you and you invite them into your house give them a cup of water and you sit at the table and you discuss with them why you're not entertaining this this discussion this thought but they're having this discussion with you and maybe you stop and think about it for a while and you say is this even reasonable could I get away with it da, 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 right you're flirting with temptation at this point You are putting yourself in a position where you have an opportunity to say yes when, in fact, you've been claiming that you want to say no. You don't want the temptation to be able to come in and hang out for any amount of time. You want to meet that temptation at the door, recognize it as a temptation, and ask it to please be on its way and close the door behind you. Once you bring it in and start offering milk and cookies, you're putting yourself in a very dangerous place, okay? And that's when temptation moves into thoughts, contemplation, active contemplation, not just stuff floating through trying to get you, but stuff that you are now embracing or at least evaluating at a level that we really shouldn't evaluate, temptation. We shouldn't dwell upon it. We shouldn't set the heart upon it or long for it or covet or desire it, right? That's what Jesus said. He said, whoso looketh on a woman to lust after her. Didn't say who notices a beautiful woman. He didn't say who observes a beautiful woman. He said, look upon her to lust, look upon her to long for, look upon her to set the heart upon. okay, that's where the temptation starts to get embraced. In James chapter one, starting at verse 13, in fact, we'll start at verse 12. James chapter one, verse 12, the apostle says, blessed is the man that endureth temptation, right? You get tempted and fight it off. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. That's important. God may be allowing you to be tempted, but God is not tempting you. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Profound statement there in verse 13. In fact, in order for God to be tempted at all, it had to be through Christ, with Christ being a man. Christ had to take on humanity to be accessible to temptation. Now, there are references in the Old Testament about the the children of Israel tempting God, but that's more trying God's patience, right? That's the the variation of, uh, or the interpretation of the word tempt um, sometimes means to test and it sometimes means to try or to um, or to um, you know get on his last nerve, as it were. that's that's really the implication of them tempting the Lord. They aren't they aren't testing him to do good or evil because God is always good. He can't be tested in that way but they were trying his last nerve if, if he were a man. That's how, that's how, you'd, that's how you would uh, reference it. So now verse 14, James 1 verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin when it is finished bringeth forth death. okay. Now, based on what we were discussing earlier, looking at the Matthew passage, here's what the apostle is saying. When a man is tempted and he's drawn away of his own lusts, of the things in his own heart, because the lust, as we saw in the other verse, is him longing, him desiring, setting his heart upon. When the temptation comes, And instead of simply acknowledging it and rejecting it, we contemplate it and wonder, could we get away with it? Well, I probably can't get away with it. What would I do if I couldn't get away, if I could get away with it? When we go down that path and embrace it as though we're in some alternate reality, and we look at what would happen and how we would do it and how we would handle it, and then we come back to reality and we figure it's all good because no one was hurt, right? And the Lord is saying, no, it's not good for you. It's certainly good for the other people that you couldn't touch because you you can't cross that barrier, okay? And that's good for them because you committed adultery in your mind, but you didn't do it to anyone. So no one else's home is getting affected. No one else's family is getting impacted. But you are still not right with the Lord at this point because you embrace this. This was a sin, simply didn't have the opportunity to happen in the physical realm. Okay, And if you continue to embrace that mindset, the least bit excuse, the least bit opportunity that arises, lust will conceive and bring forth sin. Now, the Bible tells us already that the lusting in the heart is sin. Here, he's talking about John. James is indicating that the sin would be manifest in the physical realm. He's not suggesting that once you have been drawn away and enticed with the lust that you're fine. He's talking about how it would be manifest. And the book of James is really about manifestation, if you think about it, because later, as we get into chapter 2, James is going to say, I will show you my faith by my works, right? So James is discussing things that are not staying strictly in the thought realm, that are moving into the realm of... Manifestation. That's why he says, drawn away of his own lust and enticed, but when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. So he's saying what the natural result of that dwelling, longing process is it's death, ultimately. Okay? What is the takeaway from this? We don't have to beat ourselves up when we face certain temptations frequently. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to feel that the temptations indicate our failure. The temptations are an attempt to get us into failure. That said, if you find that you are constantly tempted in a particular way in a particular environment, it might be prudent to evaluate that environment and see if it shouldn't be altered in some way to minimize that temptation, right? As an example, if you hung out in bars talking to friends and were tempted while in bars to drink, but you weren't tempted to drink when you were somewhere else, maybe hanging out in bars with your friends is not a good place to be. That's something you could control to reduce the frequency and intensity of the temptation, right? The mere thoughts coming in are part of the temptation, because if you couldn't think about the thing, how would you be tempted? But when you dwell on it, when you entertain it, when you let it into the house, instead of just rejecting it at the door and you invite it in and, and give it a, a welcome and start to engage with it more than you should, you are moving into the place where you are possibly or will inevitably commit sin in your heart. Temptation at the door, that happens. Jesus was tempted in the same way. Temptation had to come to him, right? Temptation had to come to him. He had to hear it. He had to be able to reject it on the basis of hearing it. So the mere fact that Satan says, "Turn these, make these stones turn to bread or bow down and I'll give you all of the, the kingdoms of the world, the mere fact that that Satan said those things to him didn't mean that Jesus had sinned. It means that he was hearing temptation, which he rejected as we see outlined in scripture. He didn't sit there and dwell upon it. He didn't say, oh, you know what? I can get out of this whole thing. I could just do this and be finished with this whole mission. He didn't do that. Is there a certain amount of wrestling that can happen when a temptation comes at you? Sure. Wrestling is still debating you telling the person, please go away, them saying, no, can I come in and discuss with you further? That's wrestling, okay? As soon as you long after it, lust after it, pursue it, engage it, entertain it, that's no longer wrestling. And that's not where you want to be. It's not where we want to be, okay? So when that looking upon a woman is more than just observation of the eyes and it becomes contemplation of the heart, then you've committed adultery with her already in your heart. And yes, I harped on the seventh commandment. This is true of any of the commandments. Contemplating theft, coveting somebody's stuff, which coveting is almost always an internal. If you think about it, the 10th commandment is pretty much a a set of sins that stays inside and is coupled with other sins, right? So you covet the person's stuff and then you steal. You covet the person's stuff, as in David and Bathsheba, and then you kill. Well, first you engage in adultery and then you and then you end up engaging in murder and lying in order to cover it up. Covetousness is an almost an internal thing entirely right? Stealing has a physical manifestation. Uh, lying has an obvious physical manifestation. Adultery has an obvious mani- physical manifestation. But um, but the fifth commandment, honor your father, and your mother, there can be physical manifestations. Covetousness, it's almost entirely internal. And so it is important for us to understand that We are not responsible 100% for the temptations that come, other than the examples I gave, where we are putting ourselves in places where temptations may come more easily or frequently or with greater intensity. But generally speaking, temptations come at us. It's how we respond to them, the manner in which we respond to them, that dictate whether or not we have sinned or are on that slippery slope to sinning, or whether we are resisting in the power of God, right? So for those who may be concerned that the temptation itself represents a failure on their part, no, it doesn't. It represents an attempt of the enemy to get you to fail. But that failing can be physical or just mental slash spiritual. It can be just in the heart, right? And that boundary is crossed when we move from simply observing whatever is being presented at us as a temptation to longing after it even if we would never pursue it in the physical realm let's close with that verse again matthew 5:27 and 28 ye have heard it said by them of old time thou shalt not commit adultery but i say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for this distinction in, in the process of temptation and ultimately leading to sin or the rejection of sin resisting of temptation. Please bless us, Lord. Please help us that we will resist in the power of your Holy Spirit. Please grant us a way out of every temptation as you promised in 1 Corinthians 10. And we ask, Lord, that you will grant us another day of life that we will be able to live more in accordance with your will, to grow in knowledge with both God and man. Please bless us to this end, we pray, and bless this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this podcast. You can reach us via email at biblequestions@asbzone.com. at We look forward to hearing from you, whether you have questions, comments, suggestions, or concerns. We also recommend that you check out the True Wisdom podcast, where Robert and I discuss Bible stories and topics together. Both of these podcasts can be found on over a dozen platforms, including Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please remember our ministries in your prayers. Until we meet again next time, may God richly bless you as you prayerfully study and share His Holy Word.